Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, if you will, today. And uh, we will continue in our study of the book of 1 John. Today we're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 7. We're going to see this morning the confident Christian. Aren't you glad that we can live with confidence as a Christian, no matter what the surroundings, no matter what the uh, situations of life that may arise, that we can live in great confidence. First John chapter 2, stand with me if you will as you find your place there. First John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 3. It says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would help us to be responsive to you as well. We love you and thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, we are truly living in some odd and uh, unprecedented days, are we not? Uh, we are living in a time where our whole world, uh, in some sense, is in upheaval. Our whole world is adjusting uh, to the differences and the changes that are taking place all around us. It's not just American culture and American society, though uh, there is much change there and though there is much uh, concern in many different areas, but really as we look at our world, everything and everywhere is being affected uh, all at the same time by many of the things that are taking place in our world. We are going from a world where a mask probably means you're a bad guy to where not wearing a mask means you're definitely a bad guy. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, it's a total shift, amen? Uh, it's a strange thing. Uh, we have gone from, if we get sick, we'll probably recover. So the idea, if we get sick, we'll probably die. I mean, it's just, there's really no hope. Uh, we are in a world that is changing, in a world that is shifting. And uh, some of that comes back to the coronavirus. Some of that in our culture and society in America uh, is much more than just a uh, virus that, uh, has, that has swept through and that has come through. And there's so much that can be there. There's so much change. There's so much upheaval that we live in a world right now where, quite honestly, it is an odd thing to live with confidence. As a matter of fact, we live in a world that doesn't just think that it's odd. They, in many cases, think it's foolish to live with any element of confidence in the world in which we live. We have a world that looks at it and says, how could you not be more frightened by a virus? You know, they don't understand eternity. They don't understand the confidence is that if I live, then I live in a Christ. And if I die, then I die in Christ. I get to go to heaven. And really, it's, it's, it's okay either way. We're perfectly confident. We're perfectly happy. We're perfectly comfortable with being here or with being there. And uh, I think most of us would say, I'm happy, I'm looking forward to heaven. I don't necessarily want to leave on the train that's part, departing tonight. But, uh, but if that's God's will, I have the confidence I know where I'm going. I have the confidence of eternity. 
And so the reality is that as a Christian, we live in a confidence that most of the world, in fact the rest of the world, cannot understand and comprehend. And as a believer, we ought to have a great level of confidence no matter what is happening, no matter what the uh, shifting stands of culture may be having take place among them, no matter what the storms that may arise, we ought to be able to live in great confidence. So I ask you this morning, when it comes to your eternal destiny, your eternal standing before the holy God of the universe, how comfortable how confident are you today? You might say, Pastor, I mean, uh, honestly, I know of a time when I said a prayer and, 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 I, and, I, and I really meant it, but I, I don't know if I quite had everything right and got it all figured out and, and I've struggled with that some. And, and, and you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'd go to heaven, but when you say really how comfortable are you in it, how confident are you about it, I struggle there some. The reality is there are people in churches like ours across this land uh, that are struggling with confidence in that relationship. You know, I've found a lot of people that are saved as young people, they struggle in that, in that relationship. They struggle to have confidence. And, and when we're saved at a young age, sometimes there is a struggle with, did I really understand? Did I really get that? I was saved when I was five years old. I've told you my testimony. My mom handed me a stack of books. I took them over, put them down in front of the bookcase, started putting them in. One of them was my Bible. And when I picked my Bible up to start putting it in its place, the thought hit me, if I die right now, I'll go to hell for all of eternity. And, uh, and I always say, you know, I mean, I'd never robbed a bank or killed anybody, but I'd stolen cookies and told my mom my sister had done it. I'm sure I'd done that. And uh, so the reality is I knew I was a sinner. And so I made a decision right there by myself to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to be my Savior. And, uh, and I didn't know everything about all of theology and all that kind of stuff, but I knew that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And I called on Him and I received Jesus as my Savior. And praise God, at that moment, my eternal destiny was changed to heaven forever. Praise the Lord for that, amen? How many of you would say, Pastor, I know of a time when I made a similar decision. You can raise your hand, yeah, I made a similar decision. Good, you can put those down. Praise the Lord. But then you know what happened? I was five when that happened. By the time I was about seven or eight, I started thinking, you know, I mean, I'm hearing these messages that are being preached. I would, I would go and every now and then we'd have an evangelist come in at church and he would preach this hellfire and brimstone message. And I would think, you know, I hope I got it right. I really don't want to make a mistake on this. And they'd say, if you're not absolutely 100% sure, I mean, I mean, when you get saved, your life changes completely. And if everything didn't change, then you better make sure you're really saved. And I thought, I don't know if everything really changed. I mean, I was five. I don't even know if I quit stealing cookies. I mean, the reality is, I don't know that my whole life was completely changed and different. We'll see some of that in this passage. But, but the reality is that that sometimes when a person is saved younger, they don't know if everything changed. Now, if you were saved when you were 25 years old or something like that, you were uh, an adult or maybe close to being an adult, then there probably was a bigger change because there was probably more that uh, needed to change. But there are young people probably in this room today, or some of you maybe you were saved as a young person, and, uh, and maybe teenagers that were saved at five and six years old or whatever, uh, a young age, who sometimes we struggle. And sometimes even as we get a little bit older, we can struggle. And we can come to the place of, you know, I don't feel saved. That same zeal isn't there anymore. And, and what happened to all that? 
And really, that's what John is going to write here. And he's writing to these believers. And as he writes to these believers, he's going to give them confidence. They are living in a world that everything is out of order, just like we are. They are living in a world where everything is uh, confusing. They are living in a world where the outside is attacking. And from the inside, there are false doctrines that are being taught. And they're being attacked in the spiritual sense from within. And and there's just a, a lot of turmoil and upheaval and transition and change. And all this is going on in their culture, in their society, in their church. It's all happening and everything's stirred and their hearts are stirred. And now these people are coming in and saying, well, you can't even really know if you're saved. And and, and you need to learn some of these other things. And you need to have all these feelings and emotions. And and if you don't have all that, and there's all this idea that's coming in. And they're starting to perhaps question just a little bit. And and John knows that could begin to creep into their minds. So multiple times in this book, he's going to deal with it. But here's the first, he's really going to clarify to him, listen, the Christian is not only can, but is supposed to live in absolute confidence when it comes to their relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, really, that's the foundation of our confidence in everything we do in life. Amen? And so, uh, let's dive in just a little bit and see how John's going to help him. We're going to see this morning three steps to living a life of absolute confidence in relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we ought to have an absolute confidence. We see here, first of all, this relationship is a relationship that is available. Verse number three, it says, And hereby we do know that we love him if we keep his commandments. Uh, We can know that we love him. We can know that we have eternal life. Why? Because it's available. Because the reality is that God in heaven loves man so much. I was out yesterday and I had an opportunity to stop and speak with a man and he, uh, uh, it was just uh, the first street that I was on and hanging flyers and uh, coming down the street and he was out cleaning out his truck and I stopped and started talking to him and, and we stood there and talked for probably 30 minutes or more and, uh, and had a very good conversation and he's uh, not so sure that he believes a lot of things. He's, he grew up in a different kind of a church and uh, determined that religion really holds nothing for him and he has nothing to do with it and isn't really interested in some of those things and, and you know one of the things that he struggled with is if God really loves us. He said, I believe there's a God, and I believe he created us, but if God really loves us, why would he create us and then give us a choice of whether or not we would obey him? If God really loved us, really good, he would make us so that we had to obey. He would make us so that we could not ever go uh, anywhere other than heaven. And he said, I don't even know if I believe in a hell, but if there is, I just don't believe that God, if he was really good and really loving, would ever create people with the ability to choose to go to hell for all of eternity. Man, we had a long conversation about that. And the the reality is that we live in a world that is trying to figure all of that out. And I said, look, what you have to understand is that it was man's decision. God allowed us a choice, yes. Uh, And God allowed Adam and Eve to choose which tree to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. And they chose wrong and they ate of the wrong fruit. I said, but God didn't want us to be a robot who obeyed because we had to. He wanted us to choose to love him. You know, Adam, his great decision really wasn't even the fruit or God. His great decision was Eve or God. He wasn't fooled by it. The Bible tells us she was the one who was fooled. Adam loved her more than he loved God by that point. 
Adam had an idol in his life, and, and because of that, he made a wrong decision. He chose uh, to go with Eve, and so we see that there was a wrong decision, and that sin came into the world, and sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, and that sin uh, nature has passed down through the uh, Adamic line all the way through to us. Every person who's born in that line is born with a sin nature. And yet there's a God in heaven who looking down so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be the sacrifice. As we saw last week, the propitiation, the one who would die a substitutionary death, that he would become sin for us. He who knew no sin, he had never done anything wrong, never had a wrong thought. He knew no sin and yet he became sin for us. And by his stripes we are healed. What a loving God created a way that we could choose once again to have a relationship with him, that we could choose a relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ, that that sin debt could be dealt with. And he paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. And he dealt with my sin and he dealt with your sin there at the cross. And you say, Pastor, I know that. Yeah, but isn't it wonderful to talk about? And here it is, he has come and he's died, and now what he did through that is he rose again three days later, and he offers to you today eternal life. But it's far more than just eternal life someday. It's a relationship with him that is real today. It's a relationship that gives joy in this life as well. It's a relationship that gives confidence and peace in this life. It's a relationship that changes this life. Oh, yes, it changes our eternal destiny. And yes, uh, we look forward to heaven. And yes, that's a wonderful thing. But if we're waiting until we get to heaven to enjoy the fruits of salvation, then we've already missed a big chunk. God has saved us, and he allows it to affect now and change us now. And God, in his love, offers this relationship so it's available in Christ. We can know him. Let me encourage you, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I have that kind of a relationship with God in my life. I'm talking about a relationship that is real, that is personal. As I spoke with that man yesterday out in his driveway, I said, you know what? He said, I just don't see the point of going to church. I mean, just gathering, yeah, I don't get the point. And I said, you know what? If it's just to come and go through a religious rigmarole, you're right, there's no point. If all it is is religion, I said, and I'll just tell you, I'm probably one of the biggest uh, despisers of religion in this whole city. And, and I said, I, I, I absolutely want nothing to do. I hate religion because it destroys people and it makes them think that they're okay because they've outwardly done stuff. And I said, that's not what we're talking about. I said, for us, the reason we come to church is not because we have to go to church to go to heaven. It's not because we have to go through some uh, outward actions to go and try to go to heaven. I said, we come to church because we already have a personal relationship with God individually. We come together just so we can hear the word of God and fellowship with other believers. I said, for us, it's fun. We come because we enjoy, I hope you enjoy church. We come because we enjoy church, amen? Uh, we this isn't something I do because I have to. It's something I do because I get to. And, uh, and we enjoyed that part of the conversation. Well, I did as well. And, uh, and it's available in Christ. He allows us to have that relationship. If you don't have a relationship with him that changes now, a relationship that's real, a relationship where you can uh, have a, a confidence in not just your eternal life, but you're confident in the current relationship with the God of heaven, that you know him personally, that you can pray and speak to him directly. If you don't have that, let me encourage you before you leave today to make sure that you know Jesus is your Savior. It's the most important decision anyone will ever make. 
It's the only decision that affects us after we die. We see here that it's available in Christ, but it's a relationship that while it's, a, uh, it's available, it's also uh, one that must be acknowledged with confidence. This is how we know. Look at what the Bible says, verse number 3. It does not say, and hereby he knows that we love him. Isn't that an amazing thing? God already knows if we're saved or not because he's the one who knows the heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it, the Bible says? The only one is God. And so it's not that God is trying to figure out whether or not we uh, have it right. It's not that God's trying to put it together. You know who struggles? Us. You know, before you're saved, the devil will do everything that he can to get you to think that you're saved. He'll do everything that he can to influence or to convince you that you're fine, you don't need to change, you don't need to receive Jesus as your only Savior. I mean, you don't need to turn your back on everything else and and trust Christ alone. You really, you're a good person, and you're doing a good job, and you're doing the best that you can, and and you love God. I mean, mean, after all, you know, a lot of people would say, I love God, and you do, you love God, and the devil will try to convince you that's enough. If you're just a good person who loves God, and you have a respect for everything's okay, you really don't need to make a decision to be saved. You know what happens the moment you get saved? He's the master, he's the father of lies. He flips the script on us. And immediately, he starts doing everything he can to convince you you're not saved. Why? Because if we live in confidence and the joy that comes with living a relationship with Christ in this life, then all of a sudden, we're going to have a testimony that others are going to want to be saved. We're not going to be able to help but bubble over and tell others about Jesus. So now he comes and he says, hey, you're probably not really saved. You know, you probably didn't say the right words when you prayed, and, and you probably didn't really, you weren't sincere enough when you prayed, and, and you know, I mean, you haven't been perfect since then, and if you really meant it, then you probably would have fixed everything by now. And so the reality is you're probably not okay, and you're probably not, and you probably shouldn't try to tell anybody about Jesus, because you probably don't know the answers anyway, and, and I mean, you really, I, I don't know that you should probably do anything about that kind of stuff. Isn't it amazing how he flips that? And so we have the, uh, the word of God that gives us the answer. We can't find the answer in our feeling. We've got to come back to the scripture. So he says here in verse number three, hereby we do know. You realize God gives us a way of knowing, a way of having confidence in the relationship that we have with him. Isn't that good that God built that into us? And isn't that good that he created a way for that? Because it's more than just uh, the factual knowledge. This is how we know that we know him. And it says, here's how we know, if we keep his commandments. All right, so uh, we're not talking about somebody who's living in sinless perfection. Amen? That's not what John's going to talk about. Because we never live in sinless perfection. But here's what he's saying. When we have a life that is marked by obeying, uh, obeying God, obedience to him. When we live a life that is marked by a desire to please the Lord, by keeping his commandments. When we live a life that when God says, uh, thou shalt, that we say, yes, sir, I'm willing. Or God says, thou shalt not, we say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Uh, and, and we have a desire, we have an intention of keeping the commandments. Uh, and a mark that is, uh, excuse me, a life that is marked by general obedience. Uh, if we are living that way, so what he's just done, if you remember last week, he's brought a comparison uh, to that which is somebody who's saying, I'm just going to live, I don't care what God says, I don't care what God thinks, I don't care anything about that, I'm going to do what makes me happy. 
If that's how we live, then we have to come back and say, I don't know if I really know him. And if that's the general characteristic of our life is, I really don't care about God. I really don't care what you think. I'm going to go make me happy. So a life of a saved person is marked by a desire uh, to obey the commands of God, a life of obedience. And so he tells us here that that's how we have that confidence. Now, if somebody's disobedient, notice it does not say, and this is why this is so important, it does not say this is how God knows that they're saved. God is not confused when we disobey as to whether we're saved or not. Amen? The Bible tells us, John 10, 27, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. By the way, if he gives it for eternity, that means it has to last for eternity. Amen? If he takes it back, it didn't last for eternity, so we can't lose it. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Then he says, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And then he clarifies, I and my father are one. So the God of heaven says, I am the one who's securing your salvation. I'm holding you double in the hands of God, and there's nothing and no one and and nothing you can do and nothing anyone else can do and no being that can ever get you out. I am the one who secures you for eternity. What a picture God gives. Now, once we're secured in there, if we make a mistake, he doesn't drop us. Amen? He's not confused. But you know what does happen? Sometimes we get confused. So what happens? We know that we uh, love him. We know that we have this relationship with him. Hereby we know that we know him when we live in a life of obedience. But a lack of assurance takes place when the corroborating evidence that God puts in the heart of a believer erodes. What happens? We know that our confidence in salvation is based on the word of God. Amen? I hope yours is. Our salvation is based on this book. The fact is that I'm saved because when I obey what the scripture says, I understand that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I call upon the the Lord and I ask him to forgive my sin and be my savior. And uh, I call out upon him. Then the Bible says that I can know that I'm saved. The facts are given to us in the word of God. Aren't you glad they're not dependent on your feelings? That's the factual side. But now God is also going to deal with the physical, uh, excuse me, the feeling side. Because here's what happens, and here's why a lot of people doubt their salvation. They come to a place God takes, and when we get saved, he gives us a new nature. We go from that old sin nature, because we were born in the line of Adam, to a new nature. We're now born into the family of God. And he puts in us that new nature. And that new nature than the old nature. The old nature says, it's about me. I want what makes me happy. Here's how we know that we know him. It's when that new nature comes in and says, I'm not as worried about me. I want to make him happy. I want to obey his commands. And God gives us that so that we know. And he tells us here, this is how you can know. This is something I've given so that you can have assurance. This is not the factual side. You can be saved without feeling like you're saved. You can doubt your salvation and still be saved because the facts are based on the word of God. But sometimes the reason somebody feels that way, like they're not sure about it, is because they've lost that desire to obey the word of God. They've lost the desire to keep his commands. So is that corroborating evidence that God has built into that new nature, how is that evidence eroded in the life of a Christian? We could go on just this for a while, so I'm going to give it to you real fast. But number one, uh, number one, they're still saved. That's important to understand. They're just not settled. Uh, But the first thing is sin. Sin erodes that. 
Why? Because the longer I sin, the less I'm concerned about what God says. In fact, the Bible tells us we can sear the conscience. And I can come to the place where I am back to living really basically in that old nature. Doesn't mean I don't still have that new nature, but I am surrendering to the old nature rather than the new. And I can come to the place where I'm really living a life of selfishness, a life that's about me. You know what happens when we start living in a life of unconfessed sin? It's not too long until the fire for the things of God goes out. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, the way you keep a fire going is you keep putting on new wood. (laughs) You know, if we're not putting on the wood of getting into the word of God, if we're not putting on the wood of confessing sin, if we're not staying, uh, as we heard if you were here on Wednesday night, keeping our cutting edge, staying sharp with the things of God, if we're not staying close to him, if we're not keeping the fire burning, Fire has a tendency to go out. And eventually we come to the place where we no longer find that burning desire to live for God and keep his commands. Now it really has become a life of selfishness. Factually, we're still saved if we've received Christ as our Savior. Practically or emotionally, we're now backslidden to the point where we say, I don't even know if I'm saved because I don't feel like I should. I don't have the desire for the things of God that I should. You realize when we allow sin to rest in our life without it being confessed and dealt with, it, it really it hurts us more than anyone. And it erodes the confidence in our relationship with Christ. It erodes that, uh, that corroborating evidence that God has built into it. What happens? We end up with distance from the Savior. So how do we fix it? How do we get back to the place where we can say, here's how I can know that I know him. Here's the confidence that I have, that I actually know in an experiential way that relationship. And when I speak to him, uh, that I know that I can see answered prayer. And I know that when I open my Bible, I can get something out of it. How do I get back to that place where it's right, where it's real, where it's exciting, where I have that confidence that is there, not just based on the facts, but based even on the, the reality of my own understanding of my relationship with God, how do I get back to where it's real again? You've got to deal with the sin. And you've got to deal with the distance, get back close to the Savior, John 15, abiding in Him. And we've got to come back to the place where our relationship is right. And you know what happens when we get there? We find ourselves with a burning desire to obey His commands. So now we move to the next verse. He tells us verse number four. He saith, uh, let me back up. Um, yes, verse number four. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commands is a liar, the truth is not in him. So John says, look, if somebody gets saved, and, and they say, look, I'm fine, everything is, is going good, everything's fine, I, I really, I meant that, I prayed this prayer, but they never have any element of change. There's never a desire to obey the things of God at all. In fact, they really, they say, yeah, I did that, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I don't want anything to do with it. And sometimes, and I've seen this, and you probably have too, that somebody will pray a prayer, but they really never had a change of heart, a change of mind, or a change of direction. They never really began to have a relationship with God. They just kind of wanted some fire insurance. They just wanted to pray a prayer so they can make sure they're not going to go to hell forever. But really, it's not about God. It's really about themselves. I want what's best for me, and I don't want to go to a bad place forever. And that's the only element of the decision. And then they said, well, I'm not giving up anything, though. So I'll pray a prayer, but I'm sure not changing me. I'll pray a prayer. I've had people say, you know, uh, preacher, I would pray that, 
as long as I can still drink alcohol, can I do that? And you know, the reality is somebody can drink alcohol and still go to heaven. Amen? That's not what determines salvation. That was a weak amen. Uh, It's true. They can't be right with God and drink alcohol, but they can drink alcohol and still go to heaven. They can still be saved. But the reality is they cannot be saved if they're coming in, entering into it, saying, I will not give up that because I love my sin and I don't really care what God thinks and I don't have anything to do with him. All I want is for him to help me and give me what I want. That's not salvation. That's that's not repentance. That's not turning and saying, I'm trusting Christ and I'm turning to him alone. That's saying, I'll let you do me a favor, God, but that's really all it is. Does that make sense? So there's a difference. There's an understanding that has to be there. Somebody that says, uh, coming in, I will not give up. Well, I'm sorry, but salvation is turning from all of those things. It's turning to Christ and saying, I'm trusting Christ alone for my salvation. And, and, and really, it's a heart that says, and by the way, it doesn't mean there won't be sin that still leaves dealt with for even a long period of time. Uh, But the reality is it's not a heart that says, I won't do anything for you. I won't give up anything for you. That idea is what John's talking about right here. Somebody who comes in and says, I really want to be saved, but I won't obey God at all. I don't care what he says about this. Okay, well, they're lying. They're not really coming and repenting and being saved. They're really saying, I want what I want. And if God wants to get on my page, I'll let him. And God doesn't get on anybody's page, amen? We have to come and get in his book. We've got to obey him, and we've got to come to him. He's the king of the universe. We are not. And he's the one who's in control, and he's the one who is, uh, that must be surrendered to. And so it's a life of surrender. It's coming and saying, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that somebody, just, just for clarity, I'm not preaching a lordship salvation that says if anybody ever sins, that they can't be saved. Amen? And uh, so let me just clarify that real fast, make sure that we don't, uh, don't misunderstand that. We're just saying somebody has to come uh, to God in that kind of a manner. So John says that uh, this person would be a liar. This person, he's, he's really very clear in this book. He's, he's black and white. Either it's real or it's not. Either you came and you believe Christ as your Savior and you're willing to submit to him, or you didn't and you're not really saved. Either you truly trusted Christ or you said, no, if you want to do me a favor, I'll let you, but I'm not coming to you your way. So we see here, first of all, verse 4 is the lie test. Are they lying? Are they just going through some motions? Or are they truly coming to receive Jesus as their Savior according to the Word of God? And when that happens, what happens is that new nature enters, and when the new nature enters, they're going to have a desire to obey his commands. So that's what he's telling us. Then verse number five. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily or truly is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So we see the lie test, verse four. The love test is in verse number five. This is a reliable test. God, I like it in the Bible when God gives us tests. Because you know, sometimes we can fool ourselves, can't we? And our heart can be very tricky. It's deceptive. And our heart, the world says, follow your heart. That's terrible advice. God says, follow my word. That's what we ought to do. And so here he gives us a test so that we can decipher, is my heart lying to me? Is this something I just think I'm okay in? It's a reliable test. Our knowledge of God is tested by our obedience. If you think about it, if I know who God is and I really understand how in control he is and I really understand uh, the the heart and the the character of our God, then I'm going to obey him. 
Because if I understand he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's the one who knows the end from the beginning and he's the one who has it all figured, it only makes sense to obey him. He sees it on a much better plane. He knows what he's doing and he has my best interest in heart even in the things that he leads me to do. And, and, and it may not always be the easiest, but it's the best. It's what's right. It's what's needed. So it only makes sense for me to obey him if I really understand and know who he is. So our knowledge is tested. But here John's talking about our love being tested. We know who God is, and if we really understand these things, then we are going to find that we have this love for him. So our love for God is also tested or revealed by obedience. This test is the same, but it's such a potent test that it tests many areas of the faith. So if we do not love, we will not obey. But if we truly love, we will delight in obedience. That's really what John's saying here. And by the way, to know him is to love him. If we truly have a relationship, if we know him, a deep walking, abiding relationship with Christ, then we will love him and we will delight in obedience to him. You know, in reality, the life of submission to Christ, the life of submission to the word of God is the joyful, fulfilled, exciting life. That's exactly polar opposite of what our world says. Our world says if you don't get to live a life where you get to be the boss and you get to do what you want to do and you get to be in charge, then you're giving away your individuality to somebody else and you're not really getting to be who God wanted you to be. Young man I talked to yesterday, in essence. And yet the reality is we're not truly set free and at liberty until we live a life of submission to him. The Bible says if we lose our life, our suke, that means uh, that sense of identity and who we are. When we lose our life, that's when we find it. As long as we live life going around saying, I want to be in charge, then we really aren't in charge. But as soon as we say, I'm going to quit trying to be in charge, I'm going to let Jesus be in charge, he really is in charge. And now he's the one that gives that identity to be exactly what it should be. Our identity is in Christ. Our belonging is in him. And we don't need other people to give it. Uh, And so now we have this reliable test. What happens is we find that it's a joy to delight in him. It's a joy to live in submission to him. It's a joy to live a life that is not, this is what I think, but rather a life that is, this is what God says. So it's just a life of utter submission. And that is the life of true joy. So this is a reliable test. It reveals our love for God. Uh, And then the results of the test, John Butler said, any person who claims to love God, but who does not do what God says is self-deceived. And you know, that's true. When we start trying to justify, well, the reason I don't obey God is, it's not that I don't love him right. It's really just that. No, no, we're self-deceived. Because God is the one who says, when we love him right, when we love him in a a biblical manner, when we have a a true heart uh, love and desire for him, then what happens is we have a a desire for obedience, to submit to him, because we understand how wonderful he is. And so this is a life of submission. This is a life of service. This is a life that says it's really not about me and my desires and my wants. It's really about him and his glory, and how can I bring more glory to God? And that's what the Christian life really boils down to. And when we are living in that manner, you know what happens? There is a confidence that comes. There is a confident, joyful, peaceful life that develops in the heart of a Christian. 
And it's not that I'm running around trying to convince myself I'm okay. It's not that I'm uh, trying to, well, I just, uh, you know, really it becomes just that confidence is I have a relationship with Christ. I'm just as confident in my relationship with him as I am in my relationship with my spouse. Because the reality of it is, I know that I am married to my wife. And I'm glad I'm married to my wife, by the way. Amen? Not everybody that knows they're married is glad they're married. But I'm glad I'm married to my wife. Uh, I, am, I am confident that Vanessa is my wife. You know, we didn't put a ring on her finger, and I didn't go and uh, buy that ring so that I could have confidence she was my wife. That's just, that's just there so everybody else knows. I got the biggest one I could find because we were still in college, and I didn't want all the other guys to not be able to see that thing real clear. And uh, so I said, I don't, she wanted like one of those with one little stone. I said, no, it's got to be bigger. Everybody else is going to try to come talk to you, and they need to recognize. I said, in fact, if a man walks within 10 feet, just hold that thing up there. And, uh, you know, the reality is that that ring is not there to uh, convince me that we're married. It's just there. It's just part of it. It's there so others can know. But I love seeing that because it's a reminder of that we are married. There is a confidence. And when I see my wife uh, walking around, she has her wedding ring on. It's a reminder that she still wants to remind other people that she's married to me. And you know, the reality is we can lose the wedding ring. We can lose that confidence in our relationship with Christ, even come to the place of doubting our salvation and still truly be saved. The document was signed. It's settled. It's sealed. It was nailed to the cross. Uh, We came to the cross. We received Christ as our Savior. And we can still struggle in that. But let me encourage you, if you're struggling in that and you're saved and you've come to that place, you understood you were a sinner and you came to the the Lord and you, uh, you came to Christ and received Jesus as your Savior and you made that decision, don't live a life walking around in doubt looking for the wedding ring to remind you that you really are able to be confident in that relationship. No, no, no. Come and say, hey, what I'm going to do is surrender and submit and give everything I am to him in complete, utter submission. What you'll find is that in that comes that absolute confidence. The ability to live the confident Christian life is directly attached to our spirit of submission to Christ. So I ask you this morning, how's your submission? How's your confidence? We live in a world that is totally void of confidence right now. I was out yesterday walking down a couple streets over from the last man that I had mentioned I talked to, and there was a man getting into his car. I walked up and said, hey, I'm Pastor Schaefer out from Eagle Heights Baptist Church, just coming through the area inviting folks. Could I hand you one of these invitations? And he was one of those people that wears a mask by himself in his car. I figured that out about 10 seconds later. And he jumped into his car and he said, I'm not even from around here. And he pulled his door shut as fast as he could. He backed out, almost ran me over, backed out of the driveway as fast as he could and took off. And I was like, whoa. I have, I mean, I haven't actually been around anybody that was that scared. I know they're out there, but I hadn't been around anybody that was that scared of this virus thing. And I mean, it terrified him that I talked to him from about 30 feet away. And I thought, you know what? We live in a world that is increasingly filled with fear and void of confidence. And yet on the flip side of that, when we live a life of submission, we can be filled with confidence and void of fear now and for eternity. Let me show you one last thing. I'll save the rest of it for next week. But let me show you one last thing here in these two verses. Verse number three. He says, Hereby do we know that we, uh, that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse four, he talks again about the commandments. Verse five, though, notice there's a change. He says, But whoso keepeth his word. 
There's a difference between commandments and word. The commandments are contained in the word. But the commandments are not all of the word. There's an element here of difference. Here's what what John, I believe, is driving at. It'd be this idea, if a mom were to say to her daughter, maybe a teenage daughter, when you get home from school today, uh, I want you to come in, I want you to clean your room, I want you to clean the uh, the house up a little bit, and then I'd like for you, uh, you know, maybe a, a teenage daughter that could handle this, I'd like for you to put some green beans on and cook the chicken. So her daughter comes home. She's been given a command. She comes in. She cleans up her room. She cleans up the house. She goes over. She puts the green beans in the pot. She cooks the chicken. Mom comes home. Everything's ready to go. She obeyed the command. Good job. By the way, good idea to obey those commands. Amen? But then obeying the word would be like this. The next day, the daughter on her way home, maybe from school, overhears her mom talking to their neighbor and saying, I just don't know how I'm going to get everything done. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I can't hardly keep up, and I still have to make dinner. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish everything. And she walks on past, and she goes home, and when her mom walks in the door, she smells the smell of food. She comes into the kitchen, and she finds her daughter with dinner almost done and prepared. And she says, what are you doing? I didn't tell you you had to make dinner tonight. I thought you were going to do some other things and had some other plans. And I wasn't planning on you making dinner. I was going to make dinner tonight. And that daughter might say, yeah, but mom, I overheard You were saying this is just something you needed done. She heard her words. She heard her desire was to be set free from having to make dinner. And her daughter, because she just had a desire, it's the difference between duty and desire. She had a desire to please her mother. And she had a desire to help her mom because she knew what her mom's desire was. And so she just went and accomplished it, not because she was commanded, but because she wanted to be a blessing. She just had a desire to obey her word not just her commands, to follow, to keep, to fulfill. That's what he's talking about here in verse number five, whoso keepeth his word. It's not just obeying. It's, it's not the same sense. It's, it's uh, Lord, I know you didn't tell me I have to, but I know this is what you'd like, and I'm just going to do it because I just want to please you. It's a heart of desire to please the Lord. The Bible illustration that we probably all would know the best would be when David and those mighty men were sitting there, and he said, oh, I'm lo- I long for a drink from the well of Bethlehem. He never commanded him to go get him a drink from the well of Bethlehem. In fact, he ended up pouring it out before the Lord because he didn't feel right drinking it after they had risked their lives going to get it. But they went and battled through that Philistine army. They dropped the bucket down. They pulled the bucket up. They brought it back. I don't know how you get through a sword fight and uh, come back with a bucket that has anything left, but they got that drink back to David. Never a command given. They didn't obey his command in that sense. They just kept his word. I wonder today, are you having to be commanded? Are you just keeping the word? Are you just pleasing the Lord and seeking, Lord, what would you want me to do today? It doesn't have to be clearly spelled out in the scripture. It doesn't have to say thou shalt or thou shalt not. If you'll just help me understand what you'd want me to do today and where you'd want me to go and who you might want me to talk to, Lord, anything you want, if you'll just show it to me, I'm happy to make you happy. I just want to keep your word. I just want to please you. That's the heart. That's the relationship that God wants us to have with him and then that he has with us. Are you living in confidence in your relationship with Christ? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and study your word and and for how it helps us so much. Lord, I pray for the heart that Uh, is hurting today, that needs help the most. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that does not know you as their Savior, 
that today, this moment, would be the time of salvation. But I pray that you'd work. I pray that you'd help us. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads are bowed.